Welcome back, truth seekers and red pill empaths. We are here still reading Jeff Berwick's latest book on the controlled demolition of the American empire, specifically the USA empire. We are in the section that says who wired the building and where it says the wolf in sheep's clothing specifically at the part that is titled Non-Governmental Oppression, which is 73% of the book. Little drum roll before we start going through this. All right. Here we are. Da-da-da-da. Non-governmental oppression. The way in which these globalists and technocrats structure their influence operations are through foundations that they create to function as standalone non-governmental organizations, NGOs, that work as tax shields and also provide a couple of extra layers of legal security. Not that they ever, they're ever concerned with prosecution for their crimes. Well, of course, why would they, right? According to NGO.org, a non-governmental organization, NGO, is any non-profit, voluntary citizens group that is organized on a local, national, or international level task-oriented and driven by people with a common interest, NGOs perform a variety of service and humanitarian functions, bring citizen concerns to governments, advocate and monitor policies, and encourage political participation through the provision of information. Some are organized around specific issues such as human rights, environment, or health. They provide analysis and expertise, serve as early warning mechanisms, and help monitor and implement international agreements. Their relationship with offices and agencies of the United Nations systems differs depending on their goals, their venue, and the mandate of a particular institution. It used to be that the best tool for destabilizing a foreign country was the NGO. Hmm. But it turns out that they are really great at destabilizing their own country as well. Apparently so. A hundred years ago, there were only 21 NGOs, but now there are over 10 million of them operating around the world with 1.5 million located inside the United States. Wow. Many times these are tax shelters dressed up to look like a charity in order to disguise the true intentions of the organization. NGOs get political cover as well as goodwill that comes with looking like a charity organization and since people do not like to accuse charities of being shady without rock solid evidence, 
these organizations usually skate through without much scrutiny by the corporate media. Not that they, in the media, are in the business of actually digging deep into organizations being run by their own corporate overlords. At first glance, a crooked NGO will look like an organization devoted to the benefit of humanity. But once the layers are peeled away, the true mission of the organization is discovered. This is a favorite method of the new world order because they have discovered that they can use NGOs to infiltrate a country, manipulate opinions, and change the laws to benefit their goals without uh, starting a hot revolution. This is a list of the number of NGOs controlled by recognizable political operatives. George Schultz, 76, David N.J. Rockefeller, 73, Zbigniew Brzezinski, 62, Thomas Pickering, 57, George H.W. Bush, 54, <laughs> again 54, Madeleine Albright, 54, what a surprise, Rothschild Family, 54, George Soros, 49, Bill and Hillary Clinton, 35, Colin Powell, 35, Paul Wolfowitz, 35, James Baker, 34, Donna Rumsfeld, 34, John McCain, 33, Condoleezza Rice, 32, Dick Cheney, 30. These organizations might hand out turkeys to the poor on Thanksgiving, but this is just for window dressing and it certainly is not their main objective. It is really just a way for well-known politicians to retain power after leaving office without drawing too much negative attention. Soros has been a major player over the last decade with his Open Society Foundations, which is a hilariously ironic name considering his vision of the future is anything but open. In 2017, Soros transferred 18 billion of his fortune into his Open Society to fund his dystopian fantasies and through his foundation, 11 billion has already been spent to shape global society in a way that he sees fit, like financing uprisings like the Arab Spring and the mobilization of hundreds of thousands of displaced Libyans into Europe. In the United States, Soros was the financial backer for Black Lives Matter and other social movements meant to appear organic in nature, but clearly had his fingerprints all over them. Part of the problem that these foundations create is that they are desperate to make the social uprisings appear to be authentic and real, when they usually are not, then use the organizations to change society in a way that suits them. They try to implant their ideas into the heads of average Americans in order to make it seem like it was their idea all, all along which, given the current state of the average submissive American, is not very difficult. Once the people ponder this implanted idea of social change, it is critical for them to act on it in order for the idea to become a reality. This is where the financial elements to the NGOs come into play as the buses show up to deliver protesters to Ferguson, Missouri, and the migrant invasion of asylum seekers that all suddenly and miraculously 
got the idea to walk on the same path at the same exact time, are fed and housed during their staged thousand-mile walk to the southern border of the United States. This is not social unrest, it is political theater financed by private organizations that want society changed so that they can benefit at the expense of all the suckers that help them put their plan in place. The key is to make the people demand the change that the controllers wish to implement. Over the last 20 years, a new type of fungus has sprouted up from the NGO roots, but it features a component that is very different from its predecessor. Where the NGO took money from the rich, like George Soros, to fund their operations, the new breed hopes to steal from the average American citizen and give to the people running the foundation like Robin Hood in reverse. A foundation of lies. If the Clinton Foundation is an actual charity organization that does important work in places like Haiti and Africa, then why did they shut down the Clinton Global Initiative a couple of weeks after Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 presidential election? Did they fix all of the world's problems, then shut the doors because there was nothing left to do? Did they put all of the donor money that flooded into Haiti to good use by building homes and roads for the people after the devastating earthquake? Did they use all that money to drill water wells in sub-Saharan Africa? The answer, of course, is obviously no. They do realize that they are not allowed to just keep all that money, right? The Clinton Foundation's real mission is not saving the poor, but selling influence to the highest bidder. The foundation is not a charity, and a series of misfilings pointed out by Charles Ortel and investigative journalist Jason Goodman should trigger an actual investigation. The Clinton Foundation also has major problems with their taxes and huge discrepancies between the number of money donor claimed to have given to the foundation and the amount of money declared on their taxes. In fact, Ortel and Goodman calculated that the fraudulent charity organization may be as large as $100 billion when measured from 1997 when it was funded and described the Clinton Foundation as one of the largest criminal enterprises on the planet. Wow. That money was raised from people all over the world, but a surprising number of them happened to be convicted felons, adding to the shadiness of the whole operation. Oh, wow. IRS documents show that of the $500 million the foundation raised over a four-year period, starting in 2009, only 15% was actually spent on programmatic grants. So, what did they spend the remaining $425 million on? Jeez. According to their filings, they spent $32 million on travel expenses, wow, and $110 million on salaries, holy. Did they hire the New York Yankees to run the Clinton Foundation? An additional $290 million was classified as other expenses? which could mean anything except probably clean water, food, and housing for Haiti. The 1.5 million people that were affected by the 
earthquake were so homeless years after the money had been donated, with little done to improve their country, even though donations were in the tens of billions of dollars. Organizations that made large donations to the Clinton Foundation would end up receiving the contracts to help Haitians on the ground, though most of the money would go missing and flow anywhere else but where it was needed. The contracts went to companies that had less to do with actually rebuilding and more to do with financial connections to the CGI. There is one silver lining in all of this, literally, and that is that the Clinton Foundation was able to, thanks to the support of their generous donors, give Chelsea Clinton a wedding dress that was fit for a princess, while children in a hiti peek through the garbage looking for food. I mean, after all, her daughter is that ugly and without a nice dress, really. She looks like a, an experiment, a lab experiment gone bad. <laughs> they all do, really, all of them. You can tell they're evil inside out, right? National Deceit Against Americans. The National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, is another in a long line of ironically named laws that masquerade as freedom defending legislation while simultaneously stripping citizens of actual freedoms. And like other unpopular bits of legislation, it was signed into law on New Year's Eve of 2011 by President Obama, while the rest of the country was parting and not paying attention to the fact that their rights were being stripped from them. Did you know that, guys? <laughs> Section 1021 and 1022 of the NDAA authorizes the indefinite military detention without charge or trial of any person, even American citizens, and applies the law of war to United States soil, making America battlefield legally. Wow. There is much to dislike about this bill, but the part on counterterrorism is the most alarming because of the arbitrary process of determining what can get an American citizen detained indefinitely without trial. Should someone determine that a person committed a belligerent act that is enough to keep a person in prison without charges until the end of the conflict? The war on terror is a vague and nonsensical war against an idea. Subtitle D, Counterterrorism, Section 1021, Affirmation of Authority of the Armed Forces of the United States to Detain Covered Persons Pursuant to the Authorization for Use of Military Force. A, in general, Congress affirms that the authority of the President to use all necessary and appropriate force pursuant to the authorization for use of military force Public Law 107-40-50 U.S.C. 1541 Note includes the authority for the armed forces of the United States to detain covered persons, in parentheses, as defined in subsection B, pending disposition under the law of war. Sorry, it just sounds also stuffy, right? And then B, covered persons. A covered person under this section is any person as follows, a person who planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11, 2001, or harbored those responsible for those attacks.
A person who is a part of or substantially supported Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, or associated forces that are engaged in a hostile against the United States or its coalition partners, including any person who has committed a belligerent act or has directly supported such hostilities in aid of such enemy forces. C. Disposition under law of war. The disposition of a person under the law of war, as described in subsection A, may include the following. Detention under the law of war without trial until the end of the hostilities authorized by the authorization for use of military force. Okay, end of the pompous reading. The above section is not just sort of unconstitutional. It is so unconstitutional that it violates numerous amendments, including the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, and also the Sixth Amendment. Quick civics lesson. The Fourth Amendment makes it illegal to conduct seizures of property or people without a warrant. The Fifth Amendment prevents the government from depriving an American citizen of their life, liberty, or property without due process of the law of the land. The Sixth Amendment ensures a public trial by an impartial jury. The Founding Fathers of the United States would easily qualify as terrorists under this definition because of their belligerent acts toward the British and would have been subject to indefinite detention. There would not even be an America if it was not for their belligerent acts, and there will not continue to be an America if legislation like the National Defense Authorization Act is used as a rule book for what will and will not be tolerated in the country instead of the Constitution. Whatever happened to the Declaration of Independence, we hold, quote unquote, we hold this truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain un alienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the, govern, of the governed. Sorry. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And so, go ahead, guys, you can do it right now, you know? You don't have to wait for permission from anyone. Take them down. What they've done in this past year has been extremely against the welfare of the people and the economy and everybody. If an American is not protected from being illegally searched, having their property taken, having their life ended, and being unable to have a fair trial, then what the hell is the point of having any laws exactly? Maybe that is the point, maybe that is the reason for this evil provision of the NDAA. Maybe the goal is to remove these protections from the citizens and repeal these rights so that it is not America any longer and so that those that are planning to take down the American empire may do so with impunity. One thing is for sure, 
the NDAA was not created to protect the American public. It was created to terrorize them. Executive orders. Sometimes <clears throat> executive orders trample the Constitution. And when that happens, the president usually does not get bogged down in pesky little details like whether or not their actions are actually illegal, but rather they focus on doing the bidding of those that put them in office. When one actually sees some of the executive orders that blatantly violate the Constitution, it is no wonder why people have been screaming that the rule of law is dead. Executive Orders 9066 in 1942 has America's involvement in World War II had just kicked off three months earlier, President Roosevelt signed an executive order that rounded up 120,000 Japanese or Japanese Americans living on the West Coast in the United States and put them in concentration camps for fear that they might launch a surprise attack. And I've actually personally seen a hotel in Seattle where it, like, they were rounded up so fast that all their stuff was there, basically. So it was insane. It was like a sweat, um, a sweatshop or something like that. But you know, then it became a hotel. Executive Order 4311, Gerald Ford sub submarine, sorry, his chances to remain the president of the United States for another term by issuing a pardon of Richard Nixon in September of 1974 in order to spare the country of the stress and anxiety of having a former president on trial for the list of crimes he committed, all of which, by the way, has now been made legal over time. Though technically legal, the executive order was unbelievably controversial and no doubt was never forgotten by the future presidents that always felt they had it in their back pockets to absolve themselves or other presidents of their crimes against the people. Executive Order 6102. This was signed by Roosevelt in 1933, and it expressly forbids the private ownership of gold. This was in response to the Great Depression which of course was engineered by the Federal Reserve, so the government did not want the people to hold anything of real value so that they, in conjunction with the Fed, could manipulate the money supply. Once they had all of the gold, or as much as they could threaten the people to exchange under the Trading with Enemy Act, they immediately revalued from $20 to $35 per ounce banking an instant 75% profit for themselves while screwing the American people in the process. Executive Order 13524. <laughs> Through this order, Interpol now has jurisdiction inside the United States beyond the other law enforcement agencies, even over the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Executive Order 13606, Basically, the government can confiscate whatever they want from the people, and they can conscript Americans into working for the government without compensation. They can seize property, persons, or resources at any time, in peacetime and times of national emergencies, without having to pay for it. This was one of Obama's gifts to the psychopath that controlled him. 
During the eight years of President Obama, drone strikes against American citizens, 23 executive orders pertaining to gun control, and the prison spying program were all enacted in complete violation of the United States Constitution. No voting by the Congress, no debating by the people, and no honest discussion about this on the corporate nightly news. Obama accepted the chairmanship of the UN Security Council, a violation of Section 9. He signed the UN Firearms Treaty, a violation of the Second Amendment, while also falsely claiming the United Nations may legally usurp congressional war powers. When did the United Nations move into the first position with regard to the laws of the United States, and who was Obama actually working on behalf of? Well, clearly not the people, right? Clearly, the United Nations. Obama exposed the method of operation of a Navy SEALs team, a crime, and started another war, this time in Libya, without the approval of Congress, another crime worthy of impeachment under the War Powers Act. But I guess it's okay because he did it and not Trump, right? <laughs> Where were the outrage and the protesting in the streets of the United States? These things were quietly and illegally made a part of American life. It is hard to imagine how anything such as this can be looked at as a good thing for the American people. And the reason for that is because they are clearly not a benefit to the people but a benefit to the government. The American government does not pass laws to sit on them and not use them. They pass them because they are thinking a couple of steps ahead. They pass these laws because there is a plan that requires them to make these crimes legal in advance so that their actions will not land them in Levensworth for the rest of their lives. Levensworth, sorry unless they get a pardon, which they know will happen. No fly list, a hallmark of the Freedom Stripping Patriot Act and a byproduct of the fake war on terror is the FBI's no fly list. Like being banned from a local dry cleaner for writing bad checks, the no fly list is a database of suspected terrorists that might possibly blow up a commercial airliner even though, unlike the Czech writer, these people have not committed a crime. At least a guy trying to pass off rubber checks can see his face plastered next to the cash register as a warning. But these people on the FBI's list usually have no idea they are even on the list until they first decide to try and get on a plane. So what are the stringent criteria for landing oneself on the dreaded list that began back in 2003? <laughs> Someone at the FBI just needs to think that a person might be a terrorist, or looks like a terrorist, or maybe acts like a terrorist. If they smell like a terrorist, that would be enough. Also, if they dress like a terrorist, it would certainly get them on the list. Or if they list a terrorist has their current title on a job application. In September 2015, Yahoo Travel compiled a list of eight things a person might have done that could lead to their name being added to the FBI's no-fly list. Having a similar name to someone on the no-fly list, outstanding warrants from law enforcement not related to aviation activity, being suspected of direct terrorist activity, 
a clerical error by the FBI, making comments that are not politically correct, turning down an offer to become an FBI informant, traveling to the wrong country, controversial social media posts, of course. Luckily for everyone, if those things ever do happen, nobody at the TSA is actually going to put two and two together and figure it out. Now, if a person has toenail clippers, that is a different story. And we're going to end here because um, it keeps going on and the time's almost up. And I think your mind should have been exploding already. We're at 76% of the book. So, yeah, we are moving through it in spite of my constant yapping. Because there is so much and it's just so depressing and so sad to see that all these people are so um, brainwashed. All of everybody, you know. And you cannot talk to people from Israel, for example, about a lot of the stuff because they, oh, you're anti-Semitic. It's like nobody's saying anything. We're just pointing out the obvious. And the thing is, we're all the same. We've all been duped. We're all the people have been duped. And they're fighting over these losers who have actually caused the problem. So we need to wake them up. We need to wake the people up and send them love and light and keep exposing the truth while giving them manners to control their anger and you know frustration and fear most of all because that's why most of them don't look at the truth they are really scared which is understandable but if we unite there's nothing to be scared about we can just fire them all and finally take our world back i can guarantee you one thing someone like me do a better job than all of them together because it doesn't take much to do a better job any one of you could do a better job (laughs) it doesn't take much they've done such a horrible job so think about that guys maybe one of you wants a new career all right see you in the next one